One day when the glory comes, it will be ours. It will be ours. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Studio B, our weekly podcast. I am Pastor Marcus Holman. I am excited today to have my senior pastor, our senior pastor, Walter August Jr., founder and senior pastor of the Church of Bethel's family in Houston, Texas, joining us on today's podcast. Thank you so very, very much for joining us here on Studio B. This is going to be a great podcast. Well, I appreciate that, and I thank you for the invitation. We have an exciting show, but before we get started, I want to allow Pastor August to go ahead and pray us in. Uh, because we're definitely going to need prayer to get through this particular um, episode that we have today. So, Pastor, if you can. Yes. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this day, and we thank you for your hand of mercy and grace over our lives. And, Father, we know we are in a time in our life in this country, God, in the year of 2020, that we have never witnessed before. God, so many things are broken. So many things need to be repaired. It, it seems as though, God, we're living in a Nehemiah's nightmare. When he looked at the landscape and saw the ruins and the gates and the destruction, God, Father, we're seeing similar things, God. And Father, whatever you're doing, whatever lessons you want us to learn, whatever we're missing, God, Father, would you bring it to our mind, God, and then give us the strength and the wisdom, God, to follow your lead, O Lord. So right now, God, we're praying for your will to be done. And whatever we have to do in areas, areas of bowing down and, and confessing and repenting, God, for this nation, for our families, God, whatever we have to do, God, we're yielding ourselves to do that. We lift up the body of Christ and believers all around the world that, Father, they will not lose hope. They will not be discouraged. We're praying for the children, O oh God and the parents on how they convey and communicate to their children to get some sense of understanding as to what's happening in our land. God, the church doors around this particular nation, God, have been closed for pretty much three months. We're thankful, God, that your spirit is still reigning. But God, your people are scattered, God, in many different pockets. And we need you, Master, to bring your people back together again, God. So give us wisdom today. We thank you for Pastor Marcus D. Holman and his staff who have us here under this podcast. God, you use this time for whatever you want to accomplish today. We yield ourselves to that. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we say amen. Amen and thank God. Amen and thank God. Pastor August, there is a lot uh, going on right now. Yes, sir, it um, is. There is a lot of unrest. Um, of course, the news is filled with sad story upon sad story, we're just coming off of a pandemic, COVID-19, and right on the heels of that, we come into what is, all by all means, a race riot. Yes. Um, the question that we want to talk about today and our topic of discussion today, which is a hot one, and it's a topic that everybody is discussing, especially as believers, is how does the church respond to social injustice? What is our responsibility as a church when things like a George Floyd would happen and things like this is going on on the landscape, how do we respond as believers? Uh, that's an excellent question as we uh, look back in history. And history have to go back farther than the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, we have to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. How does Jesus deal with social injustices? Uh, what, what happened in his life that we could take the nuggets from his example and begin to implement the same strategy 
that he did. Well, Dr. King had the playbook called the Bible when they moved through the Civil Rights Movement. And he was a preacher. He was a call man of God. So we don't have any other instructions or any other guidance other than the Holy Scriptures that God has given unto us. I remember when Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they came to arrest Jesus, he pulled his sword and chopped off the ear of one of the centurion guards. But what did Jesus do? He rebuked him, rebuked him, told him to put his sword up, which, you know, based on what we've seen, if you love somebody, you want to protect them. And if you know something gravely is coming up on them, then you do what you can to, to fight a good fight of faith. And Peter had committed to following and loving Christ with everything. But then Jesus turned right around and he rebukes Peter. And then he ended up putting the ear back on the centurion God who came to mm -hmm. arrest him. Mm -hmm. It comes back into the text where we have to realize that we got to get to a point to where we learn how to turn the other cheek. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to do it the way Jesus would do it. And I know we're living in a land right now where it's anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-church. The Bible is completely shut. Throw the Bible outside the school. No prayers. So when you have a, a lawless society and you have people who are not worshiping and honoring God at 100, then the only thing that they're going to do is respond through their emotions. And when they respond through their emotions, their physical activity would deem further destruction. Mm. And we will be very few who will understand what it means to protest injustices nonviolently. Dr. King was very instrumental in saying, listen, no matter what happens, no matter what they do to you, maintain your integrity, maintain your intelligence, maintain your dignity, because they got to see themselves at their worst, but they got to see us at our best. Mm. So when we talk about a response, it's the playbook is already written. When we preach and when we go to Calvary and Jesus is nailed upon that cross, and he's taken all the beatings and all the lashings and all the insults and being spat on. He's taken all that, but he looks down and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Our response is no difference. And I know there are individuals who believe an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But my Bible tells me that's not the model of Christ. We all know for a fact all of us were born into sin, shape and iniquity. We all know that it's by grace alone, according to Ephesians 2 and 8, it's by pure grace we've been saved and not by anything we've done on our own. So we have a natural debt. When we look into Romans chapter 12, and it says, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship, a service, and to be no longer conformed to the patterns of this world. But be ye transferred with the renewing of your mind. The plan is already laid in. If we're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, which we are, who should we be following? Who should we be listening to? What spirit should be leading us? Should it be the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, or the noise on the street, or the disenfranchised on the street? God is not sleeping. God is not slumbering. God is waiting for his people to turn to him.
and he shall make everything straight. My Bible tells me, and even in Romans 12 and later on, he says, listen, do not repay anyone evil for evil. He goes on to say, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, it's like putting hot coals upon their head. And verse 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by doing something good. Mm. So the church's response is Christ's response. We have to do it his way. Is it going to be a popular response? No. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but our way is Jesus' way. So let me ask you in that, Pastor. So you referred to Martin Luther King, and I think that's a, an excellent segue because he is the great civil rights icon that yes. we all honor and, and appreciate. But we also fail to understand that God used a Baptist preacher to start that civil rights By movement. By all means. And in that day, the church was a haven for meetings and for civil rights meeting about how to organize and how to plan. They used the congregational halls of the church to do that. As we have fast forward now in the last 20 plus years, we have now churches who are not necessarily engaged in those particular arenas. And so how do you address that one who is frustrated, scared, uh, disappointment, doesn't feel like anything is changing? There's another black man, another black person, this, that and the other. How do you address that emotional state of that person who is looking to us for the support? Uh, by all means, we get it all the time. One of the things I noticed about leaders, shepherds, people watch their shepherds. It's just like my family. I got a wife, I got three sons, seven grandchildren, and I got a lot of other family members that are connected to us in some form or fashion. No matter what crises happen in our family, around us, no matter what storms come our way, my wife looks at me. My children look toward me. My grandkids are looking in the direction to where I am. And if they don't see me panicking, if they don't see me frustrated or letting my anger get the best of me, and they're not hearing me participate with foolishness, then they stay calm. Mm. Leadership is what we need right now. Church leadership is what we need right now. And right now, my heart is praying heavily for Holman Street Baptist Church. Because in the worst time of the history of our nation, in our generation, that shepherd just went home to be with the Lord this past week. Mm -hmm. And when you have thousands of members that are in a crisis, they haven't met together in three months, now your shepherd is no longer here. People look to their shepherds to give them the calm that they need. What happens when you have leadership, and we see it on the national scale, the federal scale, what happens when you have leadership that is um, controlled by their emotions mm -hmm. or their tweets? There's no loyalty, there's no comfort, there's no compassion, there's no empathy, there's no trust. And then the only thing that happens from that moment is fear. We as preachers, pastors, teachers, spiritual folks, we have a responsibility to stay calm through the storm. Jesus is riding on the boat sleep. His disciples 
are on the boat with Jesus. Great storm arose out of nowhere, began to toss that little boat up, down, and sideways. They become panic. They panic. And then begin to think, don't he care? Don't Christ care if we perish? So they go and wake him up and disturb him. And he's on the boat with you. Mm. And you know what happened, preacher, pastor, teacher, Holman? You know that Jesus looked at him. And then he rebuked the wind, storm, the lightning, the billows. The sea had to smooth out. He says, peace, be still. God can do that at any moment. And if you believe that and you know it in your heart, even the storms that we're dealing with now, whether it's based on George Floyd or whether COVID-19 or anything else you can put on the table, God has the power to speak peace into it mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. If you believe that. So the church leadership have to have a sense of calmness, have to have the confidence in the affirmation that God is for us and not against us, and he's not going to leave us, nor will he ever forsake us. I, I was looking there at Psalms 37 and verse 25 when the psalmist says, he says, listen, I've been young and now I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seeds begging bread. You know what that tells me? All I need to do is keep my eyes Focus on Christ. Keep my eyes focused on the hills from which come at all of my help. Then everything else is going to smooth itself out, not according to my timetable, but according to his. And that's the truth. We need to walk in a spirit of dignity. We need to walk with a spirit of affirmation and confidence, not arrogant, not cocky but with a spirit that God is in complete control. And if we are his ambassadors, we need to take on the image of his son. Now, Pastor, <clears throat> so you speak um, volumes with that because I think that's one of the places that we need to kind of sit at. And there's a big elephant in the room, and the elephant in the room, um, unfortunately, is there is a, a system that is in place that is... Um, directly implemented to a segment or a group of people in a negative way. My question to you is, how how should our, if we're all, if Galatians says that there's neither Jew nor uh, Greek nor male nor female, but we're all one in Christ Jesus, is there a response, is there an expectation from our white evangelical brothers to stand up in their pulpits and in public arenas to stand out against what is going on in this nation right now? Do we or should we expect our white evangelical brothers that love Jesus just the way that we do and we can worship inside of a congregation and we can all sing the same praise and worship songs? Is there an expectation of them to stand up on behalf of what's going on? Amazing. They don't have to do one thing. The issue come in is that that has been the failure, if I can put it in this term, of the black church, or the black pastors, or black Christians. We have been following their lead, mm. thinking their lead is correct, and looking for their affirmation so we can feel that we're okay. Mm. It's like the master and the mm. servant. Okay. 
Yeah. I don't think so. That's why I tell people, when you understand the scriptures and the text, and you know that God does not show favoritism, no partiality, none impartial spirits toward one or the other, no juke, no Greek, no free, no slave. It's just we all one. And so the key of it is we all have to keep our eyes upon him. In the end of John, when Jesus restored Peter, do you remember once he restored Peter, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, follow me. Peter, feed my lamb. And he says, okay, handle it, Peter. And then Peter sees one other disciple. Yeah. And then he asks Jesus. Yeah. He says, now what about him? When are they going to get right? Jesus says, well, what is that to you? Yeah. Whatever I want to do to them and what I need them to do, that has none of your business. But you, Peter, you follow me. And I think that's one of the greatest things that we can learn in this season. We shouldn't expect anything from our white and uh, angelical brothers and sisters other than they be true to the word of God and serve God with all their heart, mind, and soul. And then love their neighbors as they love themselves. If I need somebody to kumbaya with me to make mm. me feel that I'm a part of, then I've missed it. Mm. Then who am I serving? This is real. So we shouldn't expect those things. One of the things about Pastor August and Bethel's family, we lead ministry. We don't follow ministry. Yeah, That's what we do. That's a good word. And we don't apologize for it. Um, when you're looking at the Bible, you have people like Micah, who was a social prophet. You have Jeremiah, who was a social prophet. And even Jesus was a social prophet. We see this in the Gospels when Jesus stood up for the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery and shielded her from the social injustice that were happening to her at that day. And when we're looking at Trayvon Martin, Eric Gardner, Sandra Bland, uh, Philando Castile, as a matter of fact, just yesterday, um, the cop that uh, shot Philando Castile got cleared of all charges. Uh, so when you see these kind of social injustices happening in our particular Jerusalem and in our landscape, what is our response in how to stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves? Do we have a place in this system of justice, in this system of economics, and how do we bridge our faith with the practical issues of today? If we want to see um, resolve, we have to go back and truly look in the mirror and look at ourselves and ask the hard questions do we qualify to take the speck out of our brother's eyes? At the same time, we have a plank sticking out of our head. Do we qualify? Mm. Yes, there is what we call systemic racism injustices. It's been inbred in the United States since it became a country. Mm -hmm. African Americans have been at the forefront of some of the most inhumane treatments that the soul of America has ever wit witnessed. 
even though we saw what happened to Mr. George Floyd, uh, as bad as that was, as difficult and challenging as it is to just maintain your peace, but can you imagine a man, a black man, being stripped naked, mm. hands tied behind his back, hung from his feet upside down, and then a bullwhip lashing at his skin while his wife, his children, mm. watch that. We come from a very bad place where that was acceptable, that was the norm. Or think about families being sold one from the other. The very conversations that uh, we don't want to have casual conversations about because it's too painful mm. to deal with. Mm. Watching our young girls back then all your daughters would at least have a baby by now for a master, mm -hmm. all of them. Mm -hmm. Because it was those masters who was breaking in the young girls as early as 11 or 12 years old. How in the world you get African people dark complected to what I would call colorize these United States if it was not for the mixing up of the races. But at the same time, within the races, there is prejudices on all levels in every heart. So unless we're willing to look at ourselves in the mirror and find out where we are and let's do some self-correcting, let's do some repenting personally because before I can slap your hands and my hands is dirty, mm. then I'm a hypocrite. And God is looking at us. And he says, don't you understand, according to Galatians chapter number six, he says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you're sowing, that shall you also reap. And so many times we don't realize that God in his infinite wisdom, he does allow your sowing to come back to you. That's good or bad. If you're sowing good seeds, you're doing some great things where you can expect greater things to happen in your arena. Now, it doesn't stop the evil one, the wicked one. It doesn't stop the forces of Satan and his demons for trying to destroy your life. But my Bible tells me that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's about those powers, those principles in the heavenly realms. There's a war going on. Mm. But if we have taken God out, how in the world are you going to learn about the adversary of God? When you've taken the Bible out of school, you've taken prayer out of school, you don't go to worship anymore. You don't call on Jesus' name. We're living here in America, and yes, I've traveled around the world. We do missions around the world, and I know for a fact the greatest place that we need to evangelize is right here in these United States. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because we got stuff. We're the land flowing with milk and honey. Even in a pandemic, you still eat every day.
In a pandemic, you still got a roof over your head. In a pandemic, you still got gas in your car to get from point A to point B. In a pandemic, you're still okay. But how are you spiritually? Did you pray today? Did you call on his name? Is there enough evidence in your life today to convict you as a believer in the Lord? Do you really love your neighbor as you love yourself? Do you love God with your whole heart, your mind and your soul and your strength? Because if you fail there, you're going to fail every place else you go. And so when we ask that question, I, I do believe for me personally, I got to really look in the mirror and make sure that I'm doing all that I need to do before I can step across the street to try to correct my brother from this, that, or the other. And, and African-Americans, they don't like to hear this holistically in the midst of all that we're dealing with. You know, Mr. Floyd, George Floyd is one person. And, and yes, the nation in his uproar with one person. But let's not forget about the abuse that black folks do to black folks. Mm. Let's not forget about the little girl that was put in a garbage bag. Yeah, Malia Davis. Yeah, Malia Davis and discarded in Arkansas. Let's not forget about the young college student that apparently was barbecued by her boyfriend. Mm. And there are millions other situations. And if we're not going to be in an uproar about that, But we're going to find one situation where it's white and black and we're going to hang our hat just on that. We missed it. That's bad. It's terrible. But what else there is that we need to be upset about? And how do we deal with that? You don't just make this because my my observation is this based on what I've seen in the past. Minneapolis officers in my heart of hearts, just just me. What I see is guilty. What they see is guilty. They're going to write a large check. Yeah, that's right. Give it to the family. Yeah. Clean up the mess. A lot of people are going to go to jail. Some will get injured. Some will end up dying because of this uproar. But the money's going to pass out. Two or three years down the road, things settle back down. Mm. You go through a sense of normalcy. We have to do a self-evaluation, and we got to check us. Why are we behind in everything? Why are we behind academically? Why are we behind socially? What is it about us that we can't come together as a people? What is it about us that make us hate ourselves so much we beat each other up? We got to deal with that. And we got to be very frank with that. But to look for the Lone Ranger to come and save Tonto, please, <laughs> that don't happen. <laughs> no, sir, it's in the movies. Yeah. It's in the movies. So we got to teach our children what we need to do to go forward. One of the questions you had on here, what should be the church's response? What do we should be doing right now? I remember during the civil rights movement. I remember during the times when, of course, the schools were closed. My mother did not allow us to just stay at home. There are many parents that said, "Lo, our kids are not going to school. There's segregation, there's fighting, there's riot. 
They're going to go here. They're going to stay home. My mother sent us to school. Mm. So we got to have a response. Are our children in school? Are they still learning? We can't have a generation of children that missed a whole entire year of academic achievements. Because this, too, will pass. Trust me, this, too, will pass. Every disaster that have ever come upon these United States have come and gone, and mm -hmm. so will this. Mm -hmm. But what happened to the little children? What happened to the teenagers? What happened to the college graduates for 2020, the high school graduates from 2020? What happens to them? And I think the church should be focusing on making sure these young people, these kids, our future, have a future. So, Pastor, if I can ask, as we're going back to the civil rights movement, I'm, I'm loving the way that this is going. The, the church was the safe haven. Um, you know, racism and segregation and all that we're dealing with right now, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3, that there's nothing new under the sun. And so we've dealt with these things before. But there was a point in time in which our great ancestors, our grandmothers and great-grandmothers, they would run to the church. They would run to the word of God for their solace and for their escape. The problem that we have today, Pastor, is that we have uh, a group of people that have been socially enraged because our younger generation has been raised up in this social media platform. And because of a snippet over here or a snippet over there, they are socially enraged. I was just watching last night, there was a young lady that was riding a uh, footlocker and she was coming out with shoes and one of the guys who had his phone said, uh, what you doing is for you, this is for the memory of George Floyd. And she said, who? Hmm. So she was out there doing, getting caught up in all of this nonsense because social media and this social environment that we're in caused her to respond, not necessarily knowing what she was doing or why she was doing it. So we have a platform right now that it can be used for good, but can also cause irreparable damage. And so when you're talking about our young people right now, the future, what is your hope for this next generation? You know, every parent, grandparent, always hope for the best for their children and grandchildren. And I'm no different. I believe our children should be able to use us as a springboard to go much higher. Yeah. The problem and the challenges to that is that we've allowed social media to raise the mental capacity or intellect and decision-making that most of them do. All right. If we talk about just social media, for instance, the cell phone, for instance, well, what it's done, it has empowered an individual with knowledge. They can go anywhere. You can learn anything you want just from the touch of a button. So we've taken the human element out of that, and now everybody is now a professor. All you have to do is have a cell phone and you're a professor. I have a five-year-old grandson named Carson who we kind of hang around a lot. Even Carson, if I'm talking to him about some things, he'll look at me and say, I know that. <laughs> I know that granddad. Mm. You know, and it's wonderful to know that, but he has been so in tune to believe that he does know a lot of things. But in I know everything, 
you can't teach me nothing. My greatest hope for our young people will always be uh, that we can set a life example before them because it's going to come back to their memory. We have to set a, up a life example. Let's not just talk about it. Go ahead and set up the example of how you do life successfully while you're here. They will always have that to gravitate to. But if you as a parent, grandparent, if you're not setting a proper example and giving a life experience, a visual one to your children or grandchildren, then you missed it. Now, I can't corral my kids and I can't corral my grandkids and try to force them into my way. Mm. But at least I can set a pathway to say, you know something, my dad, you know, I had issues with him, had some beef with him. I didn't agree with everything he did. Boy, but look at the pathway he left for mm, us. Yeah, that's a good word. You see, and we got to understand, parenting does not expire. As long as you are alive, you will always be parenting. And it doesn't matter how old your children are. But our job is not to go back and forth with our children. Our job is to continue to set the example. Because eventually, they will look up one day and realize what they really have. But the pathway is already set in. And I think that's the example of the church. We have to continue to set an example and a pattern and a road to say, you know something? Uh, when you go back into Timothy, I just preached on that. When Paul began to admonish and bless Timothy, he says, I remember your mother hmm. and your grandmother. I remember Eunice and Lois. I remember them and their sincere faith. And he said, I also see it in you. Hmm. That's what it's about. You know, because one of the things that I know for a fact, you can't make another human being doing one, do one thing if it's not in their heart to do it. And I've been around for a few decades, and I've been dealing with a lot of people. You cannot make another human being do anything that's not in his heart, his or her heart to do. But you can set an example. You can set a pathway that they can choose. Because when they wake up, just like the prodigal son, when he wake up and find himself in the pigsty, his father's back home, begin to look around, now he can think. Say, wait a minute. Wait one minute. I'm out here, and my father has servants that's living better than me, yeah. eating better than me, driving better than me. And here I am with no money in my pocket, <laughs> no shoes on my feet. Tell you what I'm going to do. Yeah, I'm going to go back home. <laughs> I'm going to take that because walk. Because the father kept the example and didn't waver. Those are the keys. And right now, that's the biggest thing our children need. And one of the phrases that I got from the, uh, the former superintendent in Vermillion Parish, he said, listen, he says, I've been watching you. And one of the things I notice about you, that your uh, video matches your audio. audio. And we have to continue to let our video match our audio. If you say you're not racism, let your video show it. Yeah, that's a good word. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you love me, let your video show it. Yeah. So that's where we are when it comes down to the hope of our children. At least they can rise up and see a path 
that can get them to where God wants them to be. Um, I think I hear what you're saying in regards to the Bible is supposed to be our biblical foundation. Yes, sir. And how we respond is by the pattern and example of what Christ has shown by to us. Means. There is a... a, a um, there is a separation um, right now. You mentioned it earlier in our previous segment that we have pushed God out of church, basically, pushed God out of school, pushed God out of our politics. We've told God that we don't want to have anything to do with you. And so now we're seeing the fruit of that uh, response. We've sown that, and now God is reaping a harvest in us. So my question is, as we move forward, what does the 2020 church look like? Um, in regards to dealing with all of these particular ills that we are dealing with? How would you encourage people who are seemingly discouraged by what they see on the outside? How would you encourage them? You know, 2020 is going to go down in history as one of the most challenging years uh, that we and our generation um, have ever witnessed personally. Uh, decades from now, uh, if Christ don't return, children are going to be reading about 2020. Mm. And they (laughs) would probably say, no, that didn't happen. (laughs) Yeah. The president did what? (laughs) No. No. This is fiction. Yeah, he didn't say that, did he? (laughs) No. They, They didn't tolerate this, did they? Yeah. And so... When it comes down to the church and try to encourage individuals, I'm going to go back to what I alluded to and try to explain. It's a personal decision that a person have to make about whom they're going to serve. Because no one can serve two masters. Mm. And at the end of the day, you need to know personally that only God grades your papers. In the book of Galatians, chapter number six, verse number three, it says, if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he only deceives himself. Mm-hmm. But verse four says, but let every man prove his own works. And then he shall have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another person. It is, it is imperative for every person to realize this race you own, you don't have a competitor, just you. Mm-hmm. When we stand before God one day, God is not going to compare you to say, Pastor Holman, now I put you with Pastor August. Now, Pastor August was doing this, that, and the other. And what did you do? God is not going to do that. He's already carved out your race. It's customized for you. That's why I tell people, you don't ever have to, uh, you know, trip somebody else up or push somebody down to try to fulfill the purpose God has placed in your life. Your course have already been designed by God because God know what you can do. He know your abilities. He know your strengths. He know the gifts he's given unto you. But Satan is very good of having you to look at another runner and try to mimic what that runner is doing and you haven't been qualified 
to do that. So what it does is frustrates you because you can't win, so you trip the other one mm. from doing his race. Mm. Galatians chapter 6 remind us all, once you have done the very best that you know how to do, you need to be satisfied. You need to be satisfied. Whether you get a pat on the back, whether your name is mentioned in lights, whether you get a trophy or an award, listen, if you need another person's affirmation to be okay, then you already missed the boat. Yeah. God grades our papers. And God don't grade our papers on the curve. He grades our papers on the cross. And the cross of Calvary have washed all of our sins and iniquities and all of our shortcomings have been washed by the blood of the Lamb of God. So every morning, I get up and try to be the best me for him. Every morning, I try to be the best me for him. Every morning, I get up, I try to be the best me for him. Not for you, not for them, but for him. Why is that so important? At the end of the day, he's going to reckon with me. Matthew chapter 25, the three servants, five talents, two talents, one talent. I'll be back. The master goes off. Handling other business, he returns, the one that have five. Now notice, he deal with them, not together. Yeah, individually. But individually. Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've gained five more. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Come now, I make you ruler over many things. Second one come in. Master, you gave me two, but now I have four. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Come now, I make you ruler over many things. The last one. I hate it. <laughs> Master, I know you're a hard man. Yeah. I know you had reaped what you had in song. And I was afraid. So I took what you gave me and I buried it. Heard you came back. So I got it, and here it is. He says, if you knew I was a hard man where I, where I hadn't sown, if you knew that, the least you could have done was take my talents and bring them to the banker. So upon my return, I could have received my investment with interest. Then he says, take the talent from him and give it to the one who have 10 because he knows how to work what I'm doing. And then he says, throw the worthless servant outside where there'll be mourning and the snatching of teeth. That don't sound like a promotion to me. That, that don't sound good at all. So when we talked, when we talk about our life forward in personal commitment, Every man, every woman have to pick up their cross daily and follow him. Because, see, I may, I may wake up in the morning 
and I may stop following the Lord. Well, should everybody at Bethel's family stop serving the Lord? <laughs> My goodness. If you think that you can do what I do because I stop doing what I'm supposed to do, you better say, well, Pastor, God bless you here. Yeah. We're praying for you, <laughs> yeah. but we're going to stay with Jesus. Yeah. Because it's a personal decision when you know that God created you, shaped you, molded you, then you need to keep your eyes focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. The final thing I'm going to say, all flesh is dead. All flesh is dead. No matter what you do to this flesh, it's already dead before you touch it. Because I was formed from the dust of the earth. And my Bible tell me, from dust you came, dust you shall return. All flesh is already dead. It's the spirit man on the inside that live eternally with God. So what should we be focusing more on, the flesh or the spirit? And it's the spirit. So I tell people in Galatians 6, 4, once you have done the best, that you know how to do, you need to be satisfied. Don't get with other people. Well, how am I doing? Am I doing all right? Because that's the problem. We're allowing other people to grade our paper, to grade our walk, to grade our service to the Lord. And listen, there has never been a teacher nor a professor that's going to let you outshine them. Mm. Even when it comes to the academia world, whether college, whether high school, see, the curriculum is based on the intellect of a few people. That's why at times it's unfair. In other words, I will take you and I'm going to give you an examination. And based on your grade, that's how I'm going to accept you or reject you. So while I'm at my home, based on what I know, I put together a test. Then I'll meet you in the morning and say, here's your test. All the things on there is what I know. And if I didn't teach it to you. I'm setting you up for failure. By all means. And that's why many times the academia world doesn't work. Because you only are testing me on what you know. Not what God knows. So you grade me unfairly. But God has never, ever failed me. God has never, ever failed me. Through the highs and the lows, the good times and the bad times, through storms, through hurricanes, through family problems and challenges, through health challenges, through the loss of loved ones, my God has never failed me. So, Pastor August, um, going back to what you said is um, that there is nothing new under the sun. Um, in trying to deal with everything that is going on, God, um, I didn't hear a voice from heaven, nor did I see writing on the wall, but God took me to uh, Matthew 24, and he said, son, I've already wrote down what is happening now. And in that particular text, you'll find that the disciples go to Jesus and say, Lord, what is going to be the sign of your return? What mm -hmm. should we look for? 
And Jesus says that nations will rise up against nations. Kingdom will rise up against kingdoms. There will be pestilences and famines and earthquakes in the land. And that word nation is a Greek word for ethnos where we get ethnicity. Mm-hmm. So Jesus said that ethnicities are going to rise up against ethnicities, races against races. We're going to get pandemics, COVID-19, swine flu, and all those other things. And then he says, when you see these things begin to happen, don't get discouraged. He said, I want you to look up because your redemption draws nigh. So my heart is heavy because I see all of this stuff that is going on on the news. But Pastor, I don't see people looking up. And I believe that a lot of people are going to be caught by surprise when Jesus Christ comes again. And so our job as a church, and I, and I thank God that you alluded to it and then put it in, in such concrete terms, is that our job as a church right now, even in the midst of all that is going on, is to stay true to our biblical beliefs and to, for every person, regardless of what side of the aisle that you fall on, is to look at themselves in the mirror and say, what am I doing right now to make myself better? And by making myself better, I can make my community better. And by making the community better, I can make this world better. And so as you as we bring this to a close, what's some of the final thoughts that you have in regards to the people out there that are looking and some of the people that are still struggling they're going through this, they're going through that? Um, as you would give them some final instructions, what would that be? I think you alluded on it, but and I want to hit on it as I close. We walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, you said you get discouraged when you look around and don't see people looking up to the Lord Christ Jesus. I would tell you, when people look at you, you need to be looking up. Because if you can get discouraged, like a Jonah, looking at the Ninevites, will give you a discouraging heart. But if you're looking up, and you're looking at me, but I don't take my eyes off of him to look at you, Eventually, if I keep staring long enough, you're going to begin to look up. You can go outside and actually just start looking up. Just do this. Nothing <laughs> nothing in your view. Other than come. <laughs> that is the key. Keep looking toward the kingdom. Mm. God will do the rest. Well, Pastor Walthog is Jr., senior pastor, founder of the Church of Bethel's Family. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Studio B. Um, look forward for uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, IG, Twitter. Uh, IG and Twitter are the same thing. IG and Instagram are the same thing. But y'all follow us on all the social media platforms to make sure that you don't miss one single episode. New episodes come out on Monday. Tatum and the Table Talks come out on Friday. Make sure that you don't miss one single episode. We look forward to seeing you next week, man. Y'all stay blessed. God bless you. We love you. When the war is won, we will be sure.